0: Hey everyone, you just tuned in to the NetSuite Podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Fisher, and in honor of Black Business Month, I'll be joined by Wale Forrester, the co-founder of Hustle Clean, an active care brand that manufactures antibacterial and antimicrobial wipes to clean, sanitize, deodorize, and disinfect bodies and surfaces for use in the fitness community and beyond. Forrester will dive into the brand's history, started by him and two former football players who he played with at UC Berkeley, the challenges they faced in launching the brand, and the secret ingredient to their pitch, which got them in the door at big-name retailers like Target and Walmart. He'll explain how the business quickly outgrew its systems of spreadsheets and, I quote, the back of napkins. So they decided to implement NetSuite to automate many of their accounting processes as well as inventory management. He'll discuss how they've overcome obstacles in their manufacturing amid the pandemic and the lessons learned over the past year and a half that they'll carry forward as HustleClean continues to grow and succeed. Forrester is passionate, he's authentic, and he is a wonderful guest who truly loves what he does and what it brings to the world. So stay tuned because you won't want to miss this story. You're listening to the NetSuite podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. Will also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Wale. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having
0: me. Oh, we're stoked to have you. Um, I'm I'm good. I'm really excited to give our listeners um, the the story of Hustle Clean, um, which. You know, I gave them a brief description of the company um in the in the introduction to this podcast episode, but in order to really understand Hustle Clean, we need to understand its history. So why don't you take us back to the beginning and how Hustle Clean, originally shower pill actually first started?
1: It all started at the University of California at Berkeley, where I was a football player, a collegiate football player. Um, my partner Justin Forsett and I, we had another third co-founder, Wendell Hunter. We all Came together and realized that there was this this pain point uh, called a shower pill. The joke was a shower pill, but really the pain point was uh, a time when a shower was optimal, but not possible or convenient. You know, because we played football at Cal and we had a rigorous academic schedule, we didn't always take showers where we were supposed to. We we're always going from one thing to another. So the guys in the locker room would say, don't judge me. I'm taking a shower pill. Mm. Uh, we fast forward, we graduated from the University of California at Berkeley, and that problem, that pain point graduated with us, right? We found ourselves being professionals, fathers, husbands, um, NFL players, firefighters, who uh, had these times that kept reoccurring where a shower was optimal, but not possible or convenient. So we said, let's do something about it, and we created a medical grade toilet that kills 99.9% of germs in the body without drying the skin out, and we called it a shower pill um, as to pay homage to that joke, that knee state that we had when we were students at Cal.
0: You know, I know I I told you this, um, before we hit record here, but it it is really difficult for me to, to hear that you went to Berkeley considering I went to USC. And for those that don't, (laughs) don't know, there is a little bit of a rivalry there. So, um, You know, but I guess while I will just have to continue the conversation, I'll try to put that (laughs) on my mind, okay?
1: (laughs) Okay, I forgive you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay, so basically what was happening was, and I get it actually, because the Coliseum was far, it wasn't on campus. It wasn't directly on campus. It was about a mile and a half walk from the Coliseum to campus. I actually played soccer. So I know how that went, where you just didn't have the time in between, like with a full schedule of classes to shower. And so you would wipe off with whatever you could, a wet towel or what or just put your clothes back on. Um, so that's kind of where this came from this towelette, this medical grade towelette, but you have this idea. I mean, you guys are, you guys are playing football. You obviously graduate, um, And you became a firefighter, right?
1: I did. I became a firefighter uh, in the city of Oakland. Yeah.
0: And your partner was in the NFL?
1: Yeah, my partner was in the NFL. Yeah, played football. At that time, he was with the Seattle Seahawks.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, So then... Walk me through how you go about taking this idea as two people that have never really started a business before, right? And it's kind of mm-hmm. this idea that you have. How do you turn that into a reality? What steps did you take?
1: I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, say that like, I grew up in a restaurant family, right? Like my, uh, my my family owned a Jamaican restaurant. I think it's like on its 37th year now, still up and running in Los Angeles. So uh, I've always had like an entrepreneurial spirit. I always knew that through hard work some and diligence, you know, you can provide a lifestyle for yourself through your business. So, but CPG, like consumer packaged goods sector, like this was foreign to us. Right. So like, yeah. we, so, so, so we had to kind of like rely on like research, you know, and rely on some of the things that we learned at Cal, you know, whether it's like researching, finding the answer to problems, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what we tapped into in order to, um figure out what to do and how to do it. It was that simple. We researched.
0: I mean, that's great. That's what, that's where you got to start somewhere, right? Um, (laughs) yes. So what challenges then did you face in getting it off the ground? Like, I mean, let's start with resources. How did you go about fundraising?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the first investors and fundraisers were the founders, right? We, um, you know, uh, Justin and I and our third partner at the time, our third partner isn't with our company anymore. You know, life happens and, you know. Of course. You know, you know, the circle gets smaller. Everybody doesn't get to go to the next level. We all were employed. We all had professions, right? We all had like W-2s, right? And, and we all got together and said that we believe in this thing, this side hustle so much that we were going to equally put money in to fund this project. So we were mm-hmm. the first fundraisers ourselves and we put our money together we got our co manufacturer um we we went through the product r&d we paid for all the testing all the materials and then we also funded the first run and we actually stored the product the first warehouse was 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 my townhome in oakland um wow. that's where we kept all of the product so we put our money together first and foremost we believe in our dream first so that others could believe in our dream after and um after our first run was successful. We saw some traction on Amazon. We were able to raise a friend and family around, mostly friends who had jobs or played in the league and they put money towards uh, the company. And that's how we got our first funding.
0: Wow. And then mm-hmm. what about now? Where are you at now? Are you still, I mean, have you, are, are you still going about that route or are you raising capital through? Other oh, definitely. Or other?
1: Yeah. Because of our, of our growth. And how fast we're growing, we are raising money. But like I said, like you know, we're distributed nationwide in Walmart and Target. Like it takes resources to play at the level that we're playing right now. Uh, so fair. yeah, we yeah. So we are continuously raising money, and and um it, and mostly because we're playing um, on a on a level where you need funding in order to you know to do it well.
0: Yeah, and to keep up with how how fast you're growing. Uh, absolutely. Um, so what was your original go-to-market strategy? You've now mentioned Amazon and Walmart. What, were you originally just going to be like Amazon first or kind of what was your plan there?
1: I mean, I mean, first and foremost, we just, we wanted to have a proof of concept. Like we made this for us in a sense. And we want to make sure that us, our community really, really resonated with it. So we took it to... Um, the Seattle Seahawks locker room, they loved it. The players loved it. The uh, administrative mm-hmm. staff loved it. Everyone loved it. Everyone who was active loved the product. So, like mm-hmm. that was the first thing that we did. We had to make sure that we made something that was worthy of getting behind and, and selling. Then we had to figure out with a scrappy team and with, with, with co-founders who all had full-time occupations. <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how do we get it to the consumer at scale? And that's when we looked at Amazon and uh, and we had an intimate relationship with Amazon because in college, that's how we got books. So we were one like the first companies that actually, you know, 10 years ago, like doubled down on Amazon. And that's how we chose to get it to the consumer at scale. And after we had years of data and analytics from being successful on the Amazon platform, we were able to leverage that into uh, nationwide distribution with Target and Walmart.
0: Wow. Um, I want to get into Target and Walmart, but I like, so if you could pinpoint where that, at which point the business really started to take off, what would you say it was?
1: Uh, I, I would say 2014 that's, and that's where we say that we commercially launched uh-huh. and, uh, it was a pivotal time. Um, I think that, um, uh, it was when, uh, my co-founder Justin retired from the NFL. I was close to retiring from the NFL. We were able to get more t- more time from him in the business. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then also, um, it's when we start. We decided that retail, like mass retail, uh, was There's gonna be game. yeah was gonna be a way for us to accelerate our growth. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so that was a time when we doubled down, and we knew that 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 this is going from a niche product, a side hustle, to uh-huh. a full to a full time company.
0: Yeah. Are you still a firefighter? Or is this your full-time job now?
1: This is my full-time job now. Yeah, this when is they, uh, it's,
0: So 2014, your partner basically was about to retire from the NFL, if not ha- already had. So what about yeah, you? When, when did you dive no, in? yeah.
1: The thing about being a firefighter is, uh, for my profession, I only work 10 days a month, right? 10, 24 All hour right. shifts. So some odd days in a month, I dedicate to the craft. Um, So to the company. So for me personally, I was moonlighting and hustling, putting in a hundred percent on both sides. And it wasn't until um last October that I stepped away from the fire department and um and a hundred percent yeah and a hundred percent devoted all my energy into hustle clean.
0: Wow. I mean to be juggling both, that that says a lot about you and your work ethic. So, you know, bravo to you. That that's uh that's Thank incredible. You. Um Okay. So you guys start, you know, you really feel that, that takeoff point happening in 2014. That's when you decide to go into retailers, like, like you said, target and Walmart, um, to name a few. So what secret ingredients made your pitches to major retailers like that? So successful, do you think? Cause they're not, it's not always successful.
1: It's not. And I think that the secret sauce would be storytelling. Um so we we told an authentic story and in order to tell an authentic story um you either have to be you know a liar or you have to be you have to have an authentic story and we had an authentic story like the product came from a real place and we totally understood the demographic that we were serving and we had the data and analytics to show that we spoke to a specific demographic that these major retailers weren't necessarily speaking to Um, The hustler, the active individual, the the individual who who placed a premium on dream chasing. Right. And we were able Mm -hmm. to break that down into into analytics. And through that, you know, it it proved to be a value add to retailers. And so if I could, in summation, when we pitched, we didn't ask for an opportunity, we presented one.
0: Wow. Ah, I just got the chills. I love that. We didn't ask for an opportunity. We presented one. That's that's yeah. awesome. Um, speaking of, you know, you mentioned hustle. It's for the hustlers, the people like you who were working two jobs up until last October um, and yeah. the people like your partner who were working two jobs, right? While, while also making this company happen. Um, so when did the company change transform i should say from shower pill to hustle clean and why what was the importance of that rebrand
1: yeah absolutely um a great question um so it's it, i think we we just celebrated our year anniversary last month um as far as the brand change and what happened was is that we were a victim of our own success so <laughs> when we, <laughs> when we came out with shower pill that's the company's name and the company's hero product was a body wipe. So right. it was the shower pill, the athletic body wipe. Then mm-hmm. it went to shower pill, the body wipe. And um, people in the market started to see the shower pill brand name became analogous with the body wipe. So when we were running our research and development, and we were trying mm-hmm. to figure out what, what, what the next product was gonna be, we found that a lot of the data was showing us that everyone attributed a uh, shower pill and the body wipe, they were like synonymous, and we right. so we kind so we kind of make it hard to introduce another product, a shower pill. What a shower pill, face wipe, a shower pill, bar soap. Like people couldn't get over the fact that the shower pill wasn't the body wipe. Mm-hmm. So we so, so we had to take a step back and say if we wanted to to scale, if we wanted to if we wanted to reach um, to fully serve our demographic, we had to speak to who they were and what they were going through, and we had to change the brand name so that we would be able to introduce. Um, a full continuum of care, some different products that wouldn't just be so closely attributed to the shower pill, and that's why we changed to hustle to hustle clean because we felt like at its incipient stage, our, 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 at its most granular stage, our products were at the intersection between hustle and activity, hustle and hygiene, and that's where hustle clean was born.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so where did the business go from there? I mean, where? So, what additional products and scents? have you introduced and what kind of research led to that
1: we have a team of awesome influencers and um so like you know everything that we do we run across panels we do qualitative um research we do quantitative research and like we we try to get the voice of our community so like through that we develop two additional um skews, two additional variations of the body wipe because we understood that we had to do the body wipe the best first and foremost, right? Like right, it's yeah. a it's a niche market, but there's some major players in this market and we want to be uh, a leader in it, right? I mean, we, we believe that we were the first brand to like make a body wipe um, cool, if you will. Like, I yeah. mean, it is, you know, before us, people call that a bird bath or people will be, will be repurposing baby wipes, right? right. Like there was, it wasn't an... A, a wipe that acted as a shower and was FDA and had an FDA approved ingredient to actually kill germs. So like, so, so we doubled down on that. We had, un, we, we created an unscented version and a lavender version. Um, then we also came out with a dual sided face wipe with, with a proprietary formulation. Um, uh, and then we also delved into the hand sanitizer space. Those are the products that we created. Uh, once we, once we um, graduated into hustle into the hustle clean brand, um and, and and product development doesn't stop either right like we have i am excited mm-hmm. about uh i'm excited about what is to come we're just practicing um discipline and uh we we, we we allow the market to guide us on when to drop products we're always in the laboratory um cooking up new, new new products
0: amazing i mean i love that you're stoked when you look forward but you have to be stoked too when you look when you look behind you i mean within a few years Hustle, B- Hustle Clean became an omni-channel company with multiple product lines. Yeah. Um, how were you managing all of that? What systems were you running on? I know now, obviously, you've implemented NetSuite, but what were yeah. you running on prior to kind of make all of that happen?
1: <laughs> I'm going to be quite frank. I mean, um, some of it was on the back of a napkin, and the <laughs> other, and the other half of it was in basic Excel spreadsheets. Right. So, like, yeah. you know, every, every single channel, every single aspect of the business had its own file, its own Excel sheet, its own mm-hmm. uh, Google, uh, Google Drive um, file folder. So that that's how we ran the business prior to um, adopting NetSuite.
0: Wow. What what challenges did you face on that. I mean, I can imagine if you're running on the back of a napkin, sometimes, you know, somebody sets their drink down and then there goes your, your next fiscal year, plans. Just
1: kidding. Um, (laughs) but, But
0: seriously, what, what challenges like did, how did this inhibit your growth?
1: When you don't have a centralized, um, product in a sense, like when, when you don't have a, when your business is decentralized because you know, every single sector has its own file, Mm -hmm. It prevents you from making real time decisions. Mm -hmm. And um, and when I say that, what I mean is that the data is delayed. Like a lot of times Mm -hmm. you have to you have to reconcile from here, reconcile that from there. So when you're trying to pull reports, it's just not real time. And then once you pull reports, you have to figure out how the data works, works with each other. So, like, to answer your question, uh, it just made us it just it just prevented us from making real time decisions with real time, accurate sources of truth. Does your business have trouble managing inventory, projects, or even getting paid on time? Don't let spreadsheets and QuickBooks hold you back. If you want to get your business to a better place, take action now and make the move to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite
0: join the over twenty-four thousand companies using netsuite right now let netsuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash business schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash business netsuite.com slash business so i mean you got you were telling me earlier running a cpg company like hustle queen it it comes with a fair share of challenges what is yeah. a lack of visibility and access to real-time data like that? How does that impact CPG like specifically?
1: Well, with CPG, it's um it's half planning for the future and half being nimble and, mm-hmm. and 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 reactive. You know, being able to react at a moment's notice. So like um with CPG, you have a long-term plan, but week over week data changes how you get towards that plan. Mm-hmm. Um so not so not having real-time data, what it does it, it it prevents you from making the most appropriate decision based off of the facts because the facts are delayed. Right. Yeah. So like the, so the best thing for a CPG company is to understand at all times where you're at so that you can properly put into effect the plan that'll get you where you're supposed to be going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned yeah. you're also going into, you know, you've started fundraising. Now, yeah. um, with outside sources, what, what is it? I mean, how does this kind of lack of of real time data impact that? Yeah,
1: yeah well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the lack of real time data when, you, when it comes to fundraising is uh, is is sabotage to fundraising, right? Like, they, I mean, they can't coexist, right? Like, you know, if, if people want to if you want to invest in your vision, um, and and they anticipate a return, and mm-hmm. they want to know that you understand your business, you understand the opportunity. You understand how you're going to, you know, create a return on the investment. And at the core of that, the most important part of that is, is the real time data, Mm -hmm. like knowing your business. If you don't know your business, then you really honestly can't communicate or display to an investor uh, where your business is going, because you don't even know what it needs, what you need in the future to get to where you want to go. Like it, it so so real-time data is everything because it becomes an analytical game when you deal with investors it's not it, it's like ten percent vision and ninety mm-hmm. percent analytics and data yeah. like uh, the numbers that they, they call them the numbers yeah so, of like, course yeah so lack of lack of um i call it a source of truth so a lack of uh, of a real-time source of truth is actually the enemy to, to <laughs> raising funds
0: yeah it makes sense i think one of my favorite quotes is you know math, Math and numbers have no opinion. That just that's what. And so you know, you can speak your vision and you can speak your your goals, but what what people are going to look for is the numbers because that absolutely that speak the truth. Um. So then, tell me about your decision to implement NetSuite.
1: You know, that was a a pivotal moment um, in in our business. Uh, so so pretty much like when we sat down and we we thought about week, um, or our decision to implement NetSuite, we thought about it. We came to the conclusion based off of where we were going to be, not where we're not where we currently were at the time. And we really needed uh, um, a system that would centralize our business and that would give us the most accurate real time data um, for our business by centralizing all of our channels, all of our efforts on the marketing, finance um, and the operations side. Um, and, and we also wanted something that was agile enough to fit us where we are. to me, it's where we are right now, but also had enough room for us to grow into it or for it to grow with us as we scaled. So, mm-hmm. so for an analogy, like, you know, we bought the house, um, with the family that we were going to have in mind, right? Like we didn't have any kids at the time, but mm-hmm. we had to buy the house and we had to buy a big enough house to be able to house the children that we were to have in the future.
0: That's a great metaphor. I love that. That's great. Um, But why NetSuite over competitors? There's a lot out there, you know, what (laughs) what made you guys go with NetSuite?
1: I mean, I I wish I had, you know, a deep (laughs) philosophical answer, but uh, I went to UC Berkeley. Uh, My favorite team is the Raiders in the San Francisco Bay area. NetSuite is a very known thing. Mm -hmm. It just is what it is like. this, just, just the product, the brand, the brand name is louder than any competitor. So there really wasn't any other option like just being in the San Francisco Bay, Silicon Valley area. This was this was the tool of choice uh, that we saw, but also it was the tool of choice that, you know, a lot of our mentors and, um, and advisors within the space um, recommended.
0: It's great. Um, doesn't have to be philosophical. It's right there. You just said it. Yeah, <laughs> yes, right, <laughs> it was right there. It and told you about it. So that's Ab- great.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, so, how do you use Netsuite? What modules have you implement- implemented?
1: We are still currently um, implementing different modules. Mm-hmm. Um, The f- first thing first for us is that we we wanted to get Netsuite live. Right, we wanted to get the company to actually use Netsuite and in our day to day functions. And for us. You know, what we heavily um, rely on NetSuite for is, one, finances, right? We utilize, we got rid of QuickBooks. We don't have these QuickBooks anymore. We utilize NetSuite for finance. We also utilize NetSuite for um, inventory management um, and also invoicing. Um, Where we're at right now with NetSuite is, is a lot of those functions are manual because we're in the incipient state, but yet even still being manual, our business is, is centralized now, right? Like mm-hmm. everything is being collected uh, in the center. Like everything is being collected at its core. And now our next project is to automate all of these um, integrations. And by doing so, we'll, we'll cut down a lot of human resource hours. Uh, it, it'll cut costs in a lot of areas, um, but mm-hmm. and it also you know, will continue to give us even more real-time data.
0: Like what what areas will will help you know cut costs or create efficiency?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, like every, every you know, every business owner understands like when you manually pull reconciling and pulling reports, those are human mm-hmm. resource hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um invoicing, right? Like manually invoicing a vendor, maintaining and updating a demand plan, right? Mm-hmm. An inventory demand plan. Those are all human resource hours that mm-hmm. can that can automatically be be done, updated real time via NetSuite. Those cuts mm-hmm. out, that cuts out human resource hours. And it also um, shortens the time between um, requesting data and actually receiving data. Yeah, because yeah, like I say like we are. We I see myself as a professional problem solver and a professional <laughs> decision maker. Right. And, yeah. But I but I need certain things to make the best decision possible. And that's what uh, Nestle is doing for me right now, I'm doing for the, for our company.
0: It's funny. This morning, I literally just listened to a podcast episode. Um, it's through the Work Life podcast with Adam Grant, and they said, if you you know you're a good leader when your number one job is solving problems. Because um, a lot of leaders say, you know, don't come to yeah. me with a problem, come to me with a solution. And the you know kind of what they were saying in that is, if to have a healthy work environment, the leaders of your company should. Be the ones that you can go to with a problem and they help you solve it. Um, so Um, I, I love that. I love what you say I'm a professional problem solver. That's great. Professional
1: problem solver. <laughs>
0: um Now, obviously, as a CPG company, what about inventory management? How will NetSuite help you overcome some of those challenges, especially that you mentioned earlier with like demand yeah. planning and forecasting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, traditionally, you know, with inventory management, um, it, it's really a reactive thing in a sense of like, you, know, you have your forecast you think you know how much you're going to use then you have to weigh it against your actuals then you, mm-hmm. and then you have to like base uh then you have to update your inventory based on what happened versus what you thought was going to happen and then you have to mm-hmm. take that and then do and, and use whatever mathematical equation that you want to use within your company to figure out when to reorder again based on your lead times it's, it, those are a lot of manual functions you know what like a netsuite does what i like about it is that when the transaction happens the inventory is already tied to the transaction, which means that it already is updated once it's mm-hmm. sold, which means that it already is, which means that the planning process or algorithms, the planning process to, re, to replace that piece of inventory is already occurring mm-hmm. at the point of sale. So like, I've just cut out three or four different steps that we do manually, that I do manually, by a system just tracking that one piece of inventory um, and updating the replenishment of that one piece of inventory right now, real time. So, um, yeah, yeah. so you see how, I mean, when you're dealing with, you know, Walmart nationwide, Target, like, and you're getting crazy orders every single week, um, you can see how demand planning could be backlogged. You can see how, you know, there's space for, um, you know, to be inaccurate, right? Mm -hmm. To, uh, To make a mistake. So like the automation of all that is just, you know, it's just, it can truly accelerate the growth of a business and to make a business more accurate.
0: Well, and and what about helping in you manage those relationships with the retailers to which you distribute? How how will NetSuite help with that?
1: I don't necessarily know that NetSuite will like necessarily help me like directly, like with a retailer, but it helps me with the, um, on the operations side, uh, as it pertains to like the tools that retailers use um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and that, you know, your 3PL uses. Like there are a lot of parties um, in operations, like behind the scenes. And like a lot of them use NetSuite, right? Mm-hmm. So like a lot of our systems talk. So more so than like directly helping with a retailer, it more so helps with the operations behind um, fulfilling that retailer and do business with that retailer.
0: Absolutely. Um, it's funny because you were talking earlier about how sometimes in with CPG, it's it's being reactive. Um, you can do yeah. it and plan and forecast all you want, but you know, things change and Mm -hmm. the world changes and nothing tells us that more than what we've experienced over the past year and a half. Um, How did changing business conditions amid the pandemic affect Hustle Clean and how have you navigated those challenges?
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, the pandemic was, uh, you know, there was good and there was bad. The good part is as a small company, um, a lot of times, your your competitors who are larger companies, they can hide behind resources. They can hide and they can make a plethora of mistakes mm-hmm. and never be exposed because they have resources. It's analogous to being inside of an arcade. They have an endless amount of quarters to keep playing the game. Right. But I have to win the game with, with this last 50 cents that I have. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so. yeah. So it was a great equalizer, meaning that we got to see who was talented in a sense. And for and who could survive and who really understood supply chain and understood business. And for us, when it hit, you know, we had the same issues everyone else had. There was an extreme shortage in machine time across the nation, meaning that like a lot of manufacturers were like either producing 100 percent for hospitals and some in the big CPG companies or they completely were doing. Were, were changing their machines to to provide um, products that the nation was seeking at that time. So they, so basically a lot of CPG companies were just left in the cold. So what we had to do is we had to change our um, manufacturing model. And we went from, you know, utilizing the data, you know, to create just enough product at the right mm-hmm. time into preloading, mm-hmm. um, preloading products so that we could, so that we were basically buying product for the year and not for the quarter. With the lack of domestic manufacturing, we had to go overseas and create whole new manufacturing relationships, all new R&D, compliance, all of the works. And then we had to find other domestic manufacturers, smaller manufacturers, to 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 help us produce for the demand that we signed up for, you know, with, with our retailers. So that's what we did we, when it came and, and uh, we just changed the way that we inventory build our inventory build strategy and then we also developed and diversified our manufacturing and our 3pl our third-party logistics our warehousing we just we just diversed it and spread it and basically tried to build a pandemic proof business uh, and it wow. worked and it yeah. worked
0: did you were you running kind of like a just-in-time inventory management strategy and then you kind of moved to a just-in-case during that time
1: I, yeah, I like how that sounds. I, and I'll borrow that, too. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> y- yeah, 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 yeah. It was a, definitely was a just-in-time. um, And, uh, you know, because you want to cut operational costs. You don't right, want to make storage. You don't, hold, you, wanna, you don't want to hold, you don't want to hold inventory. But, yeah. but the just-in-case that you spoke to, I like that. Um, the just-in-case worked for us, too, as well. All it took was a little more accuracy in forecasting.
0: Right. Taking a right. little
1: more time. So you were part with more. A capital up front but we were more accurate on whether or not we could sell it that we can get rid of this inventory so um so yeah it worked though it worked yeah. out for us
0: well and i realized you know you only implemented Netsuite in last year um mm-hmm. and so I, I but did it did Netsuite play any role in that and helping you be able to kind of switch those strategies and helping you uh pull the data that you needed for inventory um a little bit better as you <laughs> kind of switched into the into that uh, That kind of process,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah, it 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 actually did, and like not fully optimized, but but like I I would say it did in the fact that one, the inventory that we did bring into the fold, it it just gave us more confident Mm -hmm. confidence in tracking it. Like it gave us, I know where this is at, I know when it leaves, I know I know based off of a forecast when I have to reorder some more. I'm not just buying a tranche of product and hoping I can sell it. Right. Like I had like I had a system, I had an inventory management system that that it was going to be implemented in, and we understood the life cycle of it and we were mm-hmm. able to track the life cycle of it. so uh, so just just having that source of truth made it easier for us to take that bet.
0: yeah, of course. Yeah. um you've already spoken to this a little bit. you know, you have some processes like with the data around your inventory and your inventory management, you know, um automating, a lot of your accounting processes, but what, what, which we spoke to earlier, but what other lessons have you learned during kind of the pandemic time that have become permanent processes or priorities for Hustle Clean?
1: Yeah. um, One, it it just kind of like reaffirmed or reconfirmed the importance of a community. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say community, I mean like the customers that we serve, the the communities that we built, um, being able just to have a direct relationship with that community, so that when all things fail and uh, all channels fail, um, uh, when I say all channels, I mean I mean the way that we get the product to the consumer, uh, we can talk we can talk to them directly. So that was huge. Owning the customer, owning that data, owning that relationship um, has changed for us. We doubled down on that. Number number two is the diversification of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having more than one manufacturer right not basing your business off of one partner so like truly owning your manufacturing process to the point that you can go out and set up shop at any said co-manufacturer and and replicate your process at the same quality and demand that you did do it at one and then and then lastly um you know investing in our, our internal human resource. Right? We, we didn't let anyone go during the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. none of our employees. And that spoke to not their job descriptions, but their but their willingness to be what we call foxhole individuals. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when everyone is shooting at us and everything seems imminent, people, people truly rise to the occasion and make plays in order to ensure the health of our business. And they did that and they rose to the occasion so, like that, made us even want to place a higher premium on, um, you know, employee retention, employee development, and just really keeping good, talented people around and giving them opportunities to, uh, to, to self-fulfill, to self-actualize within our company. Mm-hmm. Because, because when everything was going wrong, it was the people within our organization that ensured that we got out of a bad situation.
0: Wow. Um, yeah. you, I mean, the, the, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of business owners and, um, you know, so many of our customers and I've had so many conversations throughout the pandemic and the way that you just really put people first in your answer. Of course, you said diversifying manufacturing, which we've all, everybody that's, everybody saying that right now, but the fact that you yeah. said that you have that, close relationship with your customer that you can speak to them when things are going wrong that you prioritize that and you prioritize your people that's huge i mean i love to hear that i'm like what like more more i'm so glad that you're on this episode and that we're able to share the story (laughs) because that is so so important and, and you know we've a lot of people have thought of well what could i have been done better with you know my data or um my systems or my processes or whatever and and, in two of your three answers it was strictly people um and i think that's that's incredible (laughs) because i think that's the one thing that we we lose track of sometimes in our especially in 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 the u.s we lose track of the people part of things and we get hyper focused on the money and the production and the everything else. So I think that that's really incredible. And I, I love that answer. And I'm going to make sure to, I, I include that in the summary of, uh, of this, because like I said, just, just great answer, really great response. I talked to yeah, a lot definitely. of people on that one, that one, that one hit it for me. Um, yeah. so what does the future hold for hustle clean?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, the future is amazing. I, you know, first of all, this is my life's work. I thoroughly enjoy every moment of this journey called Hustle Clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very personal journey for me because, um, one, I'm a hustler, and I want to do it cleanly, you know. And like, and when I say that, it's, you know, what we what we see ourselves doing is is making it okay for people on the go, people who are hustling, fighting for their dreams, fighting for freedom, making it okay for them to take care of themselves in the process. So we really want to. So we really want to create products that encourage self care, but also enable enables you to go. Mm -hmm. to go, to do more and be more without compromise. So the future for Hustle Clean is literally being that intersection between going and recharging, going Mm -hmm. and taking care of yourself. Um, And then also on a business level, we wanna be a um, not only a, a resource, a muse and also inspiration for other small businesses, minority businesses, who, who who are audacious enough to feel like they could change the world and they can do something epic.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's, I mean, what a way to end. I, I always have to ask one final <laughs> question um, yeah. for, for, you know, we have a lot of first time business owners and entrepreneurs and, and business leaders that tune into this. So what is your number one piece of advice for other founders?
1: This is a great question. I, I would say, what I actually tell a lot of founders or aspiring entrepreneurs is um, either you are or you're not. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're an entrepreneur and you're a founder, um, you're literally going to see your entrepreneurial goals through, or you're going to die trying. Being an entrepreneur is not based off of whether or not you have a successful exit, whether your company is, is worth X amount of millions of dollars. That's everything to do with your spirit. So either you have the spirit or you don't. And if you're an entrepreneur, do not let your business ideal or the success or failure of it define you. So what I would say is if you're choosing this life, this is what you truly believe that God put you has put you on this earth to do. This is how you're going to self-actualize. Then just commit to it and, okay. and block out success and failures. And, and, and once you do that, it won't be a matter of if you're going to reach your goal. It's a matter of when so that's that. the uh, get to entrepreneurs
0: oh I love that oh thank yeah. you Wale so much for joining us this was such an amazing episode and we're so glad that you wanted to take part um, and we look forward to you know hustle clean world domination in the future
1: uh, uh, I so appreciate it. thank you for your time as well
0: I love that advice. If you're going to dive into the entrepreneurial world, you better go headfirst and all in. Thank you so much to Wale Forrester for joining us on this episode and giving us such an awesome story about Hustle Clean. I've provided a link in the description of this episode if you want to learn more about Hustle Clean as well as Forrester's LinkedIn information. I also want to shout out to our editing crew over at Lampstand and all of you, of course, for tuning in. Hey, if you like what you heard, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. Bye. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.